That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. It is November 10th. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. We have Greg Hughes and Mara Carabello here. It is Veterans Day. Thanks for coming in on this beautiful Friday. The sun is shining. It is not snowing in the valleys. No, it's a beautiful fall. And for that, I will celebrate. It's still a little chilly. It is a little chilly for but my it's taste. Fall. I know. Yeah. I keep putting shorts on to go running in the morning because I think it's still summer. It is not. It. it is not. Yeah. So it's not summer anymore, but we have a couple nice things to start our Friday off. Mara, do you want to go first with your nicety? Okay. Yeah. Here's my fun thing of the week that I was quite pleased with. Okay. Tamara Tran, who is the mayor of Kaysville, the great city of Kaysville. So I got no dog in this fight, but she loves Trader Joe's and wants Trader Joe's to make uh, Kaysville their home. And I think she's making a really nice. Uh, you know, lodging a very good rallying cry Just together. Tra- is Trader Joe's looking to expand or like? I don't know. I know do nothing. Work? I'm completely okay. uninformed. I don't know hmm. if it should be in Caseville or not. But I love when mayors get their hands dirty, get in there. So if you live in Caseville, if you hate Trader Joe's, don't listen to me. But if you love Trader Joe's, I think you all need to gather some signatures. But I more wanted to give a shout out to Mayor Tran for getting in there. Um, doing the work, advocating for yes. these mid to small yep. size cities. And I love when mayors are enthusiastic and have vision. So it might be right. It might be wrong. I'm not coming in on the side, but I am giving a big thumbs up to Mayor Tran. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the just mayors and cities do this because they get sales tax. So they go to sales tax. They go to those uh, no, no, convention it's all retails good, but and it's really there. good to get involved. She's in there. Uh, it is fun. I, I for things you want. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my my fun thing is something I did this afternoon, or yeah, around eleven a.m. to about one. It was the uh, groundbreaking of the former Legacy. Uh, it's the former Legacy Foundation's new facility. It is a boxing facility for the former family. Gene Former was middleweight champion uh, back in the fifties. He's in the World Boxing Hall of Fame. His brothers were both uh, champion uh, bo- professional boxers. So those three brothers have since passed away. Not that long ago. That whole family has been committed to amateur boxing, Golden Gloves, uh, and they've just contributed to the, our community in Utah extensively. This is in Draper, right? And no, this was in South Jordan, but oh. where but, in South Jordan is it going in? Uh, it's it's going to be where the equestrian center, the Salt Lake oh, County okay. yeah. uh, Fairgrounds or equestrian center it's like is. One hundred fourteenth South and like twenty seven hundred. Yeah, yeah right off Redwood Road. Okay. And um, and but they have just bounced around over the years. They've always been contributing to the uh, you know young people in our in our community. Have always done good things. Uh, but now the brothers have gone, and because of their historic contribution to the sport and the community, uh, finally there's been a, bra- a groundbreaking on what will be a gym, uh, a facility where they can hold their uh, state and Rocky Mountain champ- amateur championship uh, events, as well as accommodations for the out-of-staters that come that can't afford the motel rooms or hotel rooms to travel. So it helps uh, out-of-state uh, so there's participants beds in there come too? in, yeah, and then it has like a, a, a computer lab and, and laundry service for those who don't have those things at their own home. Because cool. a lot of people that turn to boxing yeah. have some other challenges, and they're looking for some discipline, some good things, some positivity in their lives. 
And this gym will also have a, a wing that has the museum of the story of Gene Fulmer and his brothers, Don and Jay, and their contribution to the sport over the years. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, a lot of money had to be raised. We started this in 2016, and I thought that we'd have this wrapped up in t- by 2020. I thought it'd be all done. And we're only breaking ground t- in November of 23. But it's a historic day for that formal fo- former family and uh, a, a long time coming. So it was a beautiful experience. That's in my part of the valley. I hope my son, who's 18, doesn't listen to this podcast because he's <laughs> played soccer his whole life. He's decided he's not playing his senior year. And so he's looking for a new sport. And he told me he wants to box. And I told him I love I'm his head. Tell you, and nope, I would prefer gonna, he didn't. I'm going to give him. I'm, You're going to call I'm gonna him. Call, I'm going to call. I'm going to let him know where to go. It's going to be good for him. He'll All right. It. I'm like, can you just punch a bag and not people? Because I just don't want anyone ruining his you know, head. To be honest with you, there is there's great training where you don't have to spot where you can still go through the three-minute the three minute round circuit training. You do heavy bags, speed bags, jump rope, things like that, and you don't have to necessarily Okay, I can spar. think about that. Okay. I'm such a mom. I'm a helicopter mom. I have nothing exciting to say, but it's another exciting week in politics. Um, I do want to say um, thank you to our veterans really quickly because yes. – um, amazing service and sacrifice from so many families. And I think we all have those older generations like our parents who have served, but there are a lot of people who keep continuing to choose to serve. So thank you for that sacrifice. It is. It gets overlooked. I mean, veterans are so, they're such incredible human beings that even the services that for like the VA hospital or certain services for veterans, oftentimes they go unused or untapped because veterans, for the same reasons they serve our country, chose to. They're not out looking for whatever accommodation has been made for benefits and things. And so one of the big challenges with veterans is outreach to make sure that veterans understand some of the benefits that we as, uh, it's not, a, it's not a handout. It's a collective debt that we have that we should be able to pay our brave men and women who have fought. Absolutely. Us. Thanks dad. I don't know that he listened to the podcast either, but he served 20 years in the army and my brother um, in the air force. So I know we all have a lot I of have family veterans in my that. family as yeah. well. So Thank you to all of them. Uh, so much politics going on. I feel like this weird election day missed, I don't know what. The rest of the country had election day. We didn't. <laughs> Ours is still coming up. And so uh, people keep asking me, they're like, wait, did we miss election day? When is it? So I'll be interested to see what turnout is because we still have until November 21st. Uh, the national election day, though, when you look at a lot of the headlines, it's that it was a solid win for Democrats. I don't know that it was like a huge Hail Mary, but solid win for Democrats. A lot of people thinking that abortion issues on ballots or in legislatures may have prompted those Democratic wins. So does this spell trouble for your party, Greg Hughes, Republicans, as we head into the presidential election? Because there haven't been a lot of winning moments in the last few years for Republicans. Yeah, Republicans the red wave did, never happened. Republicans did hold serve in, was it Mississippi? There are some There are some states where there were Republicans up for election and they they won their their races. Um, I think there was a lot of uh, hype and even hope amongst Republicans that Governor Youngkin in Virginia, uh, with his surprise win in the last election two years ago, was going to be able to f- uh, flip the Senate, the, the state Senate, to Republican control, and then keep and hold the Republican control in the in the their House of Delegates or House of Representatives. Uh, neither happened. The Senate is still controlled by the Democrats, and then the the House of Delegates, the their state house, uh, was flipped to Democrat control, and so that that even dims maybe some of the talk of uh, Governor Youngkin running for president. I, I will say this: I was surprised that that abortion seemed to be such a clarion call and such a big issue. I would I would think that 
you go to the grocery store and fill up your tank of gas in your car uh, more frequently than you would go to an abortion clinic. So I thought that those those fr- table tabletop issues would be the driving issues in that race. I think there's a lot to learn from an election like this where that issue was, the narrative of it was so strong. And sometimes with those initiatives like you saw in Ohio, um, and and that uh, there's the fine prints worrisome in terms of if people voted for exactly what's inside all that text. But I, Queen B. Krista, Krista explained to me, there's a little bit of a primal recoil that women go through when they hear some of these laws that are coming out that ban all these things. And so I, I personally learn? learned a lot. Well, I think you do. I, I don't think you run away from the issue, but I think you have to frame what it is you're trying to do um, more accurately and in a way that doesn't uh, create that, what Krista and my wife called this primal recoil uh, that you feel is happening to you uh, and clearly that 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 there was that that was that uh that consequence uh in this this year's race which i didn't see coming because i thought there were more ones that are touching our lives in a, in a more personal way than the theoretical discussion of abortion rights so i mean i think this absolutely is a second election for democrats once they were performing well right i think the 22 election went well for them now the 23 elections yeah. have gone well for them both instances candidates from the Democratic side did pretty well, which is actually the more surprising than the ballot measures. So ballots were coming up in abortion and marijuana. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I think the framing of abortion is interesting because I don't think they're voting for or against abortion. I think we reached a level because let's be clear who who did this was Republicans, right? I mean, the base of Democrats have always voted this way. So where it went too far for Americans is with moderates and Republicans. And I think what they're saying is it's not about abortion, it's about choice. Yeah. And it's about, well, and yeah. I mean, I know we use that semantically, but you know, you saw that in Iowa where they were recoiling against a trigger ban that happened right after. Iowa had a pretty open discussion and then they put in a really draconian measure and you saw people saying, yes, too much, man. I mean, this is my life. For women, it's a public, it's a, it's a health issue for them. I do think it's a winning issue across the board and across the aisle for Democrats if they don't overplay it and the Republicans continue to ignore it. Like, I think it's kind of dumb. Now, I'm going to bring in another data point that we learned this week, and it was the New York Times poll. And so in that poll, for the first time ever, we saw Trump beating um, Biden. Yes. So those two data points are what we would look at to now and say, do we learn anything for 24? You know, and I'm, and this don't, this is not a retort to anything you've said. And sometimes you think it is, and it's not, but I'm, I just want to bring in two different things. Greg Cause you said, more deep thought, I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just not trying to pick up a <laughs> stick to beat it, myself just with. Say it. So Manchin announcing he's not running for reelection this week does not, pro, does not project strength. Okay. Because he's about as, I mean, Anyway, I just don't, I think that that was not a strong moment if you wanted to hold it with the Senate being as close as it is for him to decide yeah. not so to let's, run. Let's and break then Bashir from Kentucky, run, the governor right? who right. ran, he had this, and he did this kind of the same theme about Manchin, maybe if he runs on the no labels ticket. Uh, the, the big headline or the big quote that people are using for the Kentucky uh, Democrat who won re-election, which a lot of people thought would, would switch to a Republican, um, said, I'm not right wing, I'm not left wing, I'm... I'm for progress. I'm for you. I'm for moving forward. And I think he wasn't trying to brand himself firmly in, in the camp of a, a party. Again, if you're, if you're looking at the Democrats' wins and losses, 
I've said the abortion issue is is one Republicans need to pay attention to and articulate their positions okay, in so a better I'm way. I'm going to finish my analysis but that's, because you interrupted. But I think that's, those are variables of this week, too. I think too. they are variables. I love that you outlined that because I think that's a really weak argument because either way, the Dems at the top of the ticket there and they win. So I think the Manchin recoil right now is the recoil is against the Republicans. Manchin is interesting because if you look at 538, you see that there are more vulnerable seats in the Senate for the Republicans than there are for the Democrats. So Manchin could be a turn, I get that, but the vulnerability factor on the head-to-head for 24, the Republicans in the Senate are as vulnerable or more. There are more seats that are vulnerable. But let's talk for a second about coming in, which was interesting about the New York Times poll. The New York Times poll showed how pretty much everyone is believing that that Biden's too old. Like, and there's a lack of confidence in his presidency. What it did not show is Trump on the rise. So Trump's numbers got softer and Biden's numbers got much softer. So So who's doing worse? It's who's doing worse, but it also opens up an interesting conversation for the Democrats because it was, and now you juxtapose that with the election we just had last week. They're not rejecting democratic philosophies, one could say. They're not rejecting a democratic candidate. They're rejecting Biden. And if you look at the results, they're rejecting really singularly on his age composition. And so he either needs to flip that around, but you're still looking at a weaker than normal Trump, which was interesting because prior to that, Trump had been on the surge. Like he had been slowly creeping up. Mm -hmm. He backslid, Biden backslid. Now the the polling happened before Israel and, and Biden administration so far seems to have done a pretty good job. But between all those results, I think that the Democrats are poised to have a really good 2024. But what we know of both national parties right now, they keep messing up, both of them. Like they keep not playing. And I think it's because they're so in their heads about partisanship. And I think the public is just exhausted. Yeah. I actually saw another poll. It was from Quinnipiac University. And it was interesting when they were looking at the younger group of voters that were kind of still making up their minds. And uh, Biden was at 32%, Trump was at 27%, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was at 38%, which shows there are some people in the younger generations in the middle who are looking for something Something other than Trump and Biden. Yeah, I think that'll be really interesting. And I do think that the House and Senate are more dynamic than they are than I thought they were going to be in 2022. Like yeah. if I, if you, if we were replaying a conversation from 2022, I'd be like, oh, there's one or two battlegrounds. Like we have been stuck in for several cycles. I think the mismanagement of the house and um, abortion and just generally not performing well makes a lot of seats up for grabs that maybe wouldn't be. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So here's a question. Um, We have the Republican presidential debate, which still is weird because Trump is not participating in it. But Ramaswamy, his opening statement went after Ronna McDaniel. And I've seen a lot of talk about it online. Is she going to hurt Republicans moving forward or is she fine and you give her a five-star rating? No, I I think that I, I, I... I don't know how you can be the head of the Republican National Committee and then have the election that happened and not take responsibility for what happened i mean look that's your job you gotta whether you're the rncc the d triple c whether you're the republican national committee democrat national committee you got a job to do you got one job you gotta get people elected if you didn't do your job it's self-evident whether you whether you should be there or whether you should continue and i i don't think i think what he said was a spot on 
And I think a lot of what he was saying is uncomfortable for people to hear. But I'm I'm I gravitate to the to the people that are willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. That includes, by the way, RFK Jr. I think he's in that class too of having uncomfortable conversations that uh, that I like to hear that you don't often hear in politics. Here's my takeaway on the how the Democratic or the, excuse me the Republican field is doing with their debates. First debate I actually watched. It was a little painful for me, but I did it. Second debate I didn't watch, but I read all the headlines thoroughly. Followed up on some articles and reread some things. This last debate, I read the headlines and, and I just quit. took a quit because, oh my gosh, nobody, whether I was reading what would be right of center headlines or left of center <laughs> headlines, everybody was like, it's a mess. It was horrible. And I stopped and, I, and usually I'm reading somewhat to be prepared and I'm like, oh my gosh, point taken. It sounded like a yeah, mess. Comments like you're a scum. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't even want to go into them all because I just didn't find them to be... I, 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 I think that's that, becoming, yeah. I, I, I don't even, at the end of this one, and I didn't, I did almost exactly what, as you've described myself, but I did read more of, of some of the more quotable from different yeah. candidates. I read them, but it is getting so, I think, ridiculous that I don't know who those candidates think it helps to continue to be on a stage, especially one that Trump's not on himself. And I actually think he looks genius right now to have never got splashed by the, the, you can even tell when they're trying to be trying to find that zinger line that that's going to get said, you know, or repeated but Greg, in the there. Republicans it's just have such to be worried that if re- hacks so like ridiculous. us aren't even entertained, uh, like this is not a good face no for way. Republicans. It is not. It is not. I no. I, if and they I hate debate that again, inner party shocked. fighting too. And I know that there has to be some fighting because you've got to rise to, to the top, you know. Yeah. And I think at this point they're fighting to be, you know, maybe the vice presidential candidate. But I hate it when they're just snarky and nasty over stupid issues with each other instead of talking real things that matter to us. I agree. Yeah. So, I, I think those debates are a joke. They're exhausting. All right. Well, let's talk about the Salt Lake City mayoral race. Yesterday I was looking at Twitter and I was like, oh, well, this isn't something I expected. And then seven minutes before we walked in here, I saw a second sort of endorsement that made me think, hmm, okay, I didn't expect that either. So Aaron Mendenhall, uh, mayor of Salt Lake City, tweeted, it is an honor to have earned Governor Herbert's endorsement for re-election and to call him a friend. The challenges facing our city and state require partnership not partisanship, and Salt Lake City needs leaders who will always prioritize progress over politics. I didn't see Governor Gary Herbert getting into this race. Um, And then all of a sudden, Spencer Cox, our current governor, gets into the fray as well today, tweeting and saying that he disagreed with Phil Lyman, who was tweeting about it, saying... Uh, I completely disagree with Phil Lyman's endorsement of Rocky Anderson. We need a solutions-oriented mayor and not the endless dysfunction and litigation of the past. I may disagree with Mayor Mendenhall, but she is a far superior choice for Salt Lake City mayor than Rocky Anderson. Did you expect this? No. And what's interesting is conventional wisdom forever in Salt Lake City is that the liberalist candidate wins. The most liberal candidate wins. So it's an interesting play by Aaron Mendenhall to think that Salt Lakers are going to be like, yeah, that Gary Herbert was my guy. <laughs> so I was going like, to ask I, you, I look is at this, this some and silver think, bullet? do you think uh? that trotting out a bunch of... Now, I will say endorsements are different than getting along. So Rocky Anderson right now has a TV ad out that is saying, hey, I got along with John Huntsman and I was able to work on things. I got along with Mitt Romney and I was able to work on things because that's who was around Governor Huntsman and Mitt Romney were there. And he's saying, I can get along with people. I 
I, I mean, I think this is still Aaron Manhouse. To, uh, that's so Rocky's that? ad. Rocky ad? Okay. And I still think this is Aaron's to lose just because, frankly, of her incumbency. But conventional wisdom is that it's not an asset to get white men Republicans on your side and rally and rally Salt Lakers to the cause. And I say Salt Lakers, not Republicans or Democrats. Because Salt Lakers, Republicans in Salt Lake, have decided historically to use this as a point of exercise about, you know, this little kingdom that they're in. And normally it would be the most liberal candidate would win. So I think it's interesting that she is not only saying I'll get along, but she's garnering endorsements. Um, and, and again, no disrespect to Gary Herbert, but he's not a profile of who Salt Lake tends to I, I was very surprised by that. And I was, that's, I was more interested in what your take would be on that because i i would have thought that would be that wouldn't be the badge of honor yeah, uh, that I'm the endorsement too. is that. and did I got, she call the former governor or did the governor call her and say oh, let's no, keep rocky campaign's out. working it oh. yeah but you know because i got a i got an award the only award from city weekly i ever got you <laughs> want to hear it i can't sure. wait best invasion of a republican into a democrat bastion speaker greg hughes and operation rio grande and they didn't mean it nicely either i think no. it was like and this look, mayor is like, inviting here's your award for being allowed to invade our city, our Democrat solid blue city. How dare you? That's kind of the tone. I actually thought it was funny. Yeah. I liked the award. Yeah. But but it wasn't like, wow, look, Spear Hughes is here for the team. Yay. It was like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? So <laughs> I look at this, I think, okay. I'm also going to push back at Governor Cox. I will be shocked as he, if he's ever worked with Rocky Anderson. And so I will just say, I'm a little, and I'm going to say this on behalf of my friend, Greg Hughes, too. Uh -oh. when, when public figures are living off of tropes and not experience, I don't like that. Yeah. So if you've, if you've had a bad experience with Rocky Anderson, who can be fiery, hard to get along with, Rocky and I fight all the time. But if... I, I I will be surprised if Governor Herbert or Governor Cox has ever sat across the table from Rocky Anderson yeah. and tried to negotiate something because I think <laughs> I that think. Rocky Anderson negotiates quite a bit with people. I mean, he is who brought in the Olympics. So I, I feel like Rocky has a bombastic personality for sure, but I, I don't know if those people who are saying he can't get along, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know that they've sat at the table. With I, I don't even know me from like, I'm, I used to think, I used to be so frustrated by Rocky Anderson as mayor. I think, again, back to uncomfortable conversations or doing things that are going to rile people, but the hard things are always going to do that. I see Rocky Anderson as the candidate. This is going to ruin his whole campaign, me saying this, but yeah. I just think you got to be brave. I think you got to be bold. You got to do things. You can't be afraid of criticism. Well, do you You've want a mayor do... who the Republicans love what they're doing if you're a Salt Lake? No, I, I don't think Salt Lake should like it. That's, but I think, I think you want a Rocky that, that's going to be bold and he's going to, he's going to do some things and he's not going to be where are the people going so I can lead him there. He's or afraid to offend. He's going to go get some things done. That's who he was. And in hindsight, when I look at that, at the time, I was thinking he was driving me nuts, but at the Heinz, that versus what we get today, which I see just inaction, just inaction everywhere, I'd, I'd take someone that's ready to lean in so and spend some political capital. So you not want the capital. softer side of Sears. You want chainsaws and I want I want hard there. conversations. I do. I think we're in those times. I think we have to have hard conversations, and I, I want people to spend political capital. I think when resources are scarce and tough decisions have to be made, you have to have people who can 
you know, have a conversation and frankly shiv you from the front than do it from the back. Uh, yep, that's why I say I'd rather be standing just in the back. But just spend the political capital. Just spend. You've been elected. You've been. Don't worry about the election after this. Just go do the work. But and it is a C note change that yeah. a republic or a Democratic mayor who is considered the front runner night right now is courting Republican endorsements. Like yeah. this is unheard of. But I think it's, I, know I, think I, it's I wanted to, that. to text you guys immediately be like, what is this? But I'm like, no, we will wait till the podcast I, to discuss. I just think it's that play it safe approach. Like if I get nice Gary Herbert and, and he supports me, I'm in the safe zone. Maybe, maybe it's, see, I'm just not controversial. I'm safe. Maybe she, it's, she's a safe candidate. Cause even Gary Herbert likes her. Even I guess in Utah I don't County. I'm just trying to dissect. I, I don't get it. I don't. I, I don't understand it. But who am I? Who are, if she wins, she can kind of lay it out to us and tell us why she was. Well, oh, speaking I of Greg uh, Hughes and endorsements, um, ones that you didn't expect to see coming, I saw one that um, people were like, well played on Twitter. And it was one where both you and... And uh, former Salt Lake County Mayor and Congressman Ben <laughs> this McAdams is amazing. were supporting the same uh, I am candidate. Yeah. So West much Jordan. grief for this. But the funny thing is, is that I don't think you guys are that vastly different. In that, like here in Utah, you had causes you worked on together. You guys like collaborated the a lot. Issue. We did. Yeah. So I'm like, these guys are not the oil and water that no, I think they, they, the tweet we, is trying to lead you to believe. I'm mm-hmm. like, Greg and Ben. They've broken bread together. Yeah, I was surprised. I've gotten some significant pushback. Not significant, but I've, a lot of my friends, people that are Republican, you know, city council races are nonpartisan. So that you're not you're not jumping in supporting a Democrat. Uh, if I'm I'm a Republican, I support uh, Zach Jacob for uh, for city council, and I did this based on his work as a public servant. I, I was doing business there. It was really not even in an elected capacity. It's when when you have to work with a city, you want public servants that will. Listen, give critical, even blunt uh, feedback that are problem solvers who will come to neighborhood meetings and public hearings and, or just different, just engage. And not everybody does at the same level. And I found, I find Zach Jacobs to be an engaged, active uh, city council member. And it wasn't, and it wasn't based on a, a, a party platform at all that those, my, my conclusions did not come from, I actually don't think Zach Jacobs politically on public policy aligns with me. Uh, but he didn't hold that against me, A, and B, he did the job of a city council member. And so that's why I, I had no problem saying that observationally. But, boy, I got some I got some grief from and it. And I think it mm. deserves saying, again, uh, city council races are nonpartisan. They are. I, mean, I don't know what everybody's getting so excited about. should be largely nonpartisan. You I, should be filling I, my potholes and cleaning my... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was a little surprised by, the, by some of the reaction I've received, but... I stand by it. I said, "Do you want me to be louder and more out there? Because I'm not going to. I'm not. You're said, not going to tell me to call me again. <laughs> no one's going to. No one's going to sh- push me off of what I said or make me not or re- retract it. You're just going to make me want to say it louder stand and more. Stand your ground. Get yeah, out. Yeah, because your I don't. I. You miss. Someone must. If they hate my endorsement, then they misunderstand it. That's it. Because okay. it's good. Uh, more surprises coming our way. I wasn't expecting this, but Representative John Curtis says he may still run for the U.S. Senate. He says the drumbeat from Utahns around the <laughs> state asking me to reconsider my decision last month to say out of the Senate race has been constant and consistent. These voices getting louder and more organized are increasingly difficult to ignore. So he is back to considering if he's in the race and if he wants to run. Um, what's happening here behind the scene, Greg Hughes? Yeah, no, there's no, there's there just no grassroots. Well, there is no grassroots drumbeat of $120,000 media by saying, please run John Curtis. Mm. You have Mitt Romney and you have Mitch McConnell, who this is, this goes back to the first narration of him running. 
uh, that wanted uh, have asked him to run and would commit to fully fund his race if he did. He decided not to. I think they have not given up on that effort. And I'm saying Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell, they want him to run. And uh, they're trying to uh, have him reconsider or at least create an environment where it looks like he is. It, the public needs him and wants him so badly. How can he say no? I, I, I don't know. I, I just I look at it. And I think it's political pageantry. There's no. That's not some grassroots uprising begging him to run for. Senate. But don't you I think? Okay, so I was totally surprised by this, but I have to read it as a precursor to jumping in. Like, do you really come back and? And do another round of consideration. Because then you're so wishy-washy, flip-floppy, right? Right. Like at that, you're the boy who cried wolf. But like, don't you have to get in if you're the one bringing it back up? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen these ads, but like he is bringing it back up. Doesn't it mean he is Well, going? what I don't like about it is the ads came first. So it was like he didn't initiate his second thought. It's the ads come up people talk and he's like well you know i'm just getting so much how can i how can i not reconsider if i'm going to have this much pressure i find all that contrived i don't mm. believe that's the case at all i think you have some very you have certain uh, interests that would love to see him run want him to run feel more comfortable that he run and and i do think for mitt romney uh, he wants to help pick his successor and i think that's he's more comfortable with the john curtis than he is the, the field of candidates that are running right now i'm not a big fan of either party pitch picking successors and uh, i know what happens all the time when senator hatch uh was retiring he wasn't going to do it till he felt comfortable with who was going to take over for him but we don't live in a kingdom there's no, no princes and no princesses i didn't do it and i used to get so much grief like you're still running you're you're running this long you know and so i don't run and then i think our who was my city council member and friend jeff stenquist when he ran i don't even think he was opposed and so yeah. it's like everybody was mad saying you, you're staying too long and then when i and i didn't pick anybody but I it wasn't like a hot contest when it was open. If I were uh, like Brad Wilson supporters, maybe not the campaign proper, but the others supporting him, this would signal to me a time to lean in because he's got a huge head start right now because he's been fundraising so yeah, well he's and got he's a lot been of money. organizing so well. Um, but it, it's sort of John Curtis it is it would be his biggest challenger in this Certainly. and i think it's time for his supporters to lean in on this and, and, and say hey and I think we that, have the candidate we want and i don't know mara if you're seeing this but i certainly see this on the republican and the conservative side uh, in utah there is this he's rom uh, brad wilson is romney 2.0 that he is romney's a uh, hand-picked successor this is rolling out to show that that is clearly not the case uh, he is not i knew i've always known he wasn't romney's pick but John Curtis being coming back into this race or reemerging, his mere emergence in this race was was promptings from Romney and Mitch McConnell, and now he's still doing it. They haven't given up on that, and I that shows uh, for those that think that uh, the fix is in and Romney picked uh, Brad Wilson. That is not the case. He won't. Uh, to the question of how when does he have to make this decision, it's sooner than later. Like mm -hmm. for most of us in politics, you are well in the 2024 race. Yeah, because like we've got it, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and file, right? Yep, and and file is a formality. Like, you have, you should have had your machinery. We don't have deep, ben deep benches here for staffing. Those things really matter. So um, people that we hear getting in in the next couple of months, my assessment would be that they're slightly late to the game. Now, it doesn't mean they can't get it done, but really we're at a point where every passing week is an opportunity missed on an open seat. Now, if you're an incumbent, if you were Romney, Romney could wait out the clock. But 
there are very few people who can do that. And any challenger, even really well-known challengers, um, each week makes a difference. That's why I do think he was recruited because um, – to your point, I think, you know, there aren't, it isn't a deep bench. So a lot of the people that had worked with Congressman John Curtis in his past races, um, he, John Curtis made it clear he wasn't running for Senate. And so those that had worked in his campaigns in the past are working on different campaigns uh, right now. So if he was going to run, he would have taken his infrastructure of campaigns uh, and, and would have kept them, but he didn't. So he's going to have to get that infrastructure somewhere else, especially kind of behind the curve, how late it is in the game. Right. So that's why I think he's not only recruited, but they're coming with funds that would be able to bring that infrastructure quickly. Yeah. Cause it seems to me that Brad Wilcox, I'm not an expert on this, probably with his good fundraising he's done has probably soaked up a lot of the local money that would have been Mitt Romney's Wilson, inside the yeah. state. So the money now is coming nationally. If it were going to be coming for Curtis. So we'll be paying attention we, to that. Yeah, we can't even see who this group is that spent 120000 in media buys. It, it, the, the disclosure dates are... I don't know when they are, but they're not now. We can't see who it is that paid for that yet. Yeah. Well, I'm a week late on this one. This is something we were supposed to talk about last week, and I forgot. But looking ahead to the gubernatorial race next year, I wasn't expecting to hear much about that because I thought, you know, this is going to be Cox's year. No one's going to run against him. But Phil Lyman announced he's going to run, and then Representative Brian King says that he's considering to run, obviously, on the opposite side as a Democrat. Uh, thoughts on these candidates? So I think you still have to say it's Spencer Cox's to win. So I don't know that either of these candidates change it. If you're a Democrat, I think Brian King getting in is great news because one of the keys to building back the party <laughs> is going to be good representatives, even if they lose, showing Utahns that they are in alignment. I mean, what we we know from Democratic voting records is that legislators that are in the Democratic Party are actually much more aligned with Utah voters than the Republican caucus. And Brian is one of those. Brian has been on the Hill. You would know this better than me, I but like 10, 15 well. years. He's yep. been there for a long time. He's an attorney. He's a seasoned communicator. So I think if he chooses to get in, it's great news for Democrats even having someone articulate mm. another point of view. I also think... Um, to jump on board with Spencer's disagree better. I think that uh, both Brian King and Spencer Cox are grownups. And I think we might have a more hearty discussion, but I think we'll see a, a cordial grown-up discussion about the issues. I don't think either of them are prone to be personal. I think they're both nice people. Um, Phil Lyman is a bit of a firebrand. And I have to say... Way to go and maintain a pretty good profile for the first two weeks of your yeah. campaign. Like yep. he rolled out considering he probably doesn't have a ton of resources. He rolled out pretty well. He did it largely with guerrilla tactics. I mean, sort of social media tactics. The governor engaged with him today on Twitter about the, the mail You know, and race. if someone's responding to you, you're winning. Um, particularly when you're a challenger like that, it does take him out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um and he will definitely be a much more of a firebrand candidate as as he's wanting to. I mean, I think he's seeking that title. Um, and I think he's going to try and capitalize on the perception of the urban-rural disconnect. I think that's really hard to do with Spencer Cox because he's also positioned himself as a rural Utah. But, you know, fun to have. I am, I think Greg and I have agreed on this in the past. I think competition sharpens people. I think it makes them better. I think it's still Spencer Cox's to win. But I think Brian would be an incredible representative for the Democratic Party. I actually love to see that because I'm not a big fan here in Utah where Democrats sometimes have a hard time getting a candidate and yeah. a qualified candidate to run. So in that, I think Representative Brian King would be a good qualified candidate and there could be a good conversation, which I think our state needs. He represents Salt Lake. He's, he's my representative. Um, so that's 
Yeah, he's, he, he represents Salt Lake City, and he's got a ton of legislative experience. Well, I'm going to deep six his whole campaign right now and say, I like Brian King. Uh, way was, to go. Way know, to ruin speaker, it for people. I, as speaker, he was the minority him? leader, and, uh, and he was very good. He was very good to work with. Uh, you clearly different uh, have different takes on issues, but there were other issues like the, the, the role of the legislative branch, the separate and equal powers that we agreed on in a bipartisan way. But I'll just say this. It, is, it always bothered me when we, we saw the Democrat Party Democratic. almost turning into a regional party where they had Salt Lake City, uh, they had uh, Summit County, maybe Grand County, Carbon County, but you were seeing in statewide races, the Democrats were saying, well, we're never going to win statewide, so let's go nominate a, a, an independent Evan McMullen. And I just think, what a cop-out, and, and you, you, I, I believe in there being two parties, and not everybody migrating, either calling themselves independent when they're Democrats, they think it's more palatable, or entering into the Republican Party because they think their odds of winning are going to be better, have this battle of debates and ideas. And so I'm a big believer that the party needs to be built. Uh, the Democrats need to have a, a, a good party that challenges the Republicans. I think it makes everybody better. And I think that Brian King is that kind of candidate. I think he's a serious candidate. He's going to have great issues. He's a great debater on those issues. Um, and that's what the Democrats should be doing instead of what they've done the last two statewide election cycles. And that is, I think, just give up and not even even try to, to have a good candidate. So I, I like that decision. And then uh, as far as Bill Lyman, he was a county commissioner when I was uh, in the legislature. Then he his first term was when I was out. But I've known Phil Lyman uh, and he is a he is a principled man. He's a he's a good he's always been a, a fighting for the little guy and gal. And, and, and I think he's a, a phenomenal lawmaker. Uh, he'll give, he'll give Spencer Cox a run. He'll, he's not, he's not a wilting violet. And I think again, competition is good. The battle of ideas are important. There should be no coronations in this, in this state or country when it comes to our free and open elections. So let the fighters let the make fights. Let them, let's have good, let's have good races. I'll be more impressed if they do a commercial together with, uh, the Republican and Democratic candidate, um, than I was last time around. <laughs> yeah. Cause last time I'm like, this doesn't even feel like a, let's hold hands and kumbaya. It just felt like, it was just I don't a know. little brother. Come here, come here. I'll give you some tension. Yeah. Come on over here. Come, I'll give you nice. a nuggie first and then you can, <laughs> you can get some TV at, uh, Congressman Blake Moore elected as vice chair of the House GOP. It's something that I don't think I've ever talked about that position before, but it's something we're talking about because new House Speaker Johnson uh, was in that former role, so people are thinking about it. Does this matter? Does it give us any weight here in Utah, or is it just like a good job for him to make friends and influence people inside the party? I think I think it's all upside. I, I think having that role, uh, you're elected by your colleagues into that spot, so that's not a that's not a general election. That's your peers in the Republican caucus and the Congress that, that voted for you to do that. I think that's a good sign for uh, Congressman Moore and for our state. Uh, so, it, but it, it also comes with the responsibility. They're going to have to show some things. They've got a tough, tough budget negotiation with the Senate controlled by the Democrats and uh, what do you call him? Majority Leader uh, Schumer. It's Majority Leader, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 not sure of the it's, well. It's, it's not the Senate president. Leader. Well, it's not the Senate president. He uses other leader. names for yeah. him sometimes. But Schumer. Yeah, I do have different. I do. <laughs> what do you guys yeah, call it when the no. Democrats are in charge? <laughs> Insanity. Um, no. They, so, um, but anyway, that that is that's a that's a, a in a, in, a, in a, such a narrow caucus in the House of Republicans uh, in the, in in Congress to negotiate with. It's also a narrow caucus in the in the Senate, but. To see that happen and see how that lands, that's going to be 
that's a heavy lift. That's a big deal. All eyes are going to be on uh, on uh, Speaker Mike uh, Johnson and the caucus. And now Blake Moore has got a bigger role than so he did just as a member who votes. Blake Moore is in his second term. That's what makes yeah. He's cool. a new kid on the block. He's a new kid on the block, and the fact that he's in any leadership position is great. It's amazing, and more importantly, it shows where he where his goals are among the colleagues, and this matters in a legislative body. It matters sort of less in other branches, including the legislative branch that is the Senate. But if getting along and building consensus matters anywhere in government, it's the House of Representatives. Do you know what, you want, I'll give you behind the, oh, I don't want to interrupt yeah, no, you to finish. You, you so don't? Good. I don't no, no, I mean, like, it's this, so that's incredible. I do think the statements of the importance of this role have perhaps been a little overblown. And I, I read this article this, this last week that said, oh yeah, this is a perfect springing board now because of Speaker Johnson. I'm like, that was a once in a this billion. This was like a unicorn. Yeah, that, that was a unicorn. That so was a unicorn I, I, moment. That's not the way to, it goes. To say a, a guy in his second term, a congressman in his second term, it means he is doing something very right with his caucus. So, so that caucus was probably as splintered as any uh, majority caucus of Congress probably has ever been in terms of eight members rolling you know, uh, what, 117 yeah. or however many it was, 112 of them or whatever it was. So they, so trust is your commodity in this race. So trust was how Mike Johnson got elected. They, people felt that without regard to positions, he was a human being who they could trust. And so trust is at a high level. So my behind the curtain, t- and this, I, I've tested this nowhere. This is my observational, <laughs> uh, just knowledge, just, just, I can see it. You know, Blake Moore is quite the athlete. He was a he was a quarterback yeah. for USU, right? You don't know how important these cocky, these uh, congressional softball games are. They're important. This man is clutch. Like he goes up there and he is he is performing. He is bringing home the wins for the Republicans in these in these caucus uh, or in these congressional softball and that games. Helps. I'm telling you what, boy, mm. he probably has more guys cheering for him. And that, and I think that's a trust level. I think they can trust him. He's cl- he's a clutch hitter. To also he- add a couple more nuances to I think what he is doing right. When Speaker McCarthy was elected, and actually before Speaker McCarthy was elected, but he looked like the the front runner for this. The political class of of I'm sure Greg heard this as well. Everyone was like, "Ah, oh, McCarthy would be great because Blake Moore is good with him." I heard that over and over again about how good a speaker McCarthy would be for Utah because yeah. Blake Moore is good. So I just want to point out that he's like surviving a couple of speakers, meaning he's not being chosen by one point or another. The other shout I am going to give to Blake Moore on behalf of anyone in the media, he answers the phone and he comes on the shows. He does. And I will say I really like, now I don't mean all the time everywhere, but he will, he's really responsive to public conversations and we that's not a necessity of an elected official in Utah. And so I find it sometimes missing, even from good elected officials. But he is very willing to have a public conversation. Absolutely. The day he was elected, I called. He stayed late in his office. We had a chat about it, talked about it, uh, went through all the different bills and proposals. I need to post that full conversation online because there is a lot of work being done behind the scenes. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't see right now for trying to get that budget passed. And obviously they lost a lot of time trying to get a speaker in place, but there is a lot of work being done where they're trying to figure out the right mm-hmm. way to go about it. And from everything he says, you know, I don't think there's Republicans that want it to go to a shutdown. Cause I think there's 
talk that, you know, that would be popular. Let's shut it down. But I think most of our congressmen and congresswomen see uh, people, whether it's at Hill Air Force Base or, you know, IRS or depending on your state where you're working in, the TSA, these are hardworking individuals who have to pay their rent. They have to make things happen. So they do want to get this figured out before we have a shutdown. I just hope we can figure out a long range goal and stop the whole punting and punting. And I think punting. we're going to punt. I mean, our sh- fuse is so short right it now. Is short. They've already turned down two goes at it. Well, they we call it a CR concurrent resolution. Yeah. Is that what they call mm-hmm. it? There's one. I bet my my prediction is they'll have some. The the, the Congress is going to send some requirements for a CR to move it to a January or April vote, and that's that is re- where the real debate is going to happen. Is what if there are uh, conditions attached to the hunting of yeah. it to January or April. We're out of time, but I did want to mention before we go, I saw a press release come out, and we haven't done any big stories about it here at KUTV. I'm sure we will, but... Um Full-day kindergarten has been something that's been kind of bantied around in the legislature. More funding was given in um, the last session. It was House Bill 477. I was interested as a mom myself to see how many parents would uptake this because I know working parents are like, please, for the love of everything good and holy, give us full-day kindergarten. I thought that maybe a few parents would go for it, but I also think there's a lot of moms in Utah that are full-time moms. They take their job seriously, and they still want those cute little ones at home and take care of them while they're five. No. 77%. Yes, 77% yeah. are now enrolled in Utah uh, full-day kindergarten, which is crazy because the earlier number, when we're looking at it from last year, was 34%. So that shows that most parents are like, please, give us school. The other thing that's cool, cool, cool about that is it's a bipartisan approach. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think this belongs to one um, party or the other. And to channel our friend Jen Seelig, it's peer-reviewed research that shows <laughs> that full-day kindergarten is a huge boost for these little littles. Yeah. I mean, it is a really big deal. Yeah, I the first I was... I felt with back way back when, like the two thousand. I don't know when 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 Governor Huntsman was still governor. I was uh, I I felt like we had so many challenges in funding school, educa- public education that adding full day was a nice to have, not a have to have. And so I was just not. I I just didn't think we were keeping pace on a bunch of different fronts. That this was just not uh, should be on the on the menu. And I remember having a meeting with uh, Governor Huntsman where he actually turned, and I became more open to the concept. And I wanted to be voluntary, kind of that. That kind of uh, prescriptive things yeah. like that. Uh, since then, I have seen the statistics of the of the kids that are entering into kindergarten and even first grade that are just unprepared. And when I say unprepared, there's basic tests that you can give a young one of their colors, the the numbers, uh, shapes. Where it's called the Peabody Picture Vocabulary Test, where kids are sadly unprepared. But at the a social high level. and emotional too is huge. So this all day, I think, is going to do an, is going to have an, the important work of getting young kids where they won't necessarily need uh, an individual education plan, and they'll be more prepared for school. Because if you're not reading at grade level by third grade, the odds are completely against you that you'll ever get out of an individualized special uh, individualized yeah. education plan. So third grade, it's a race to third grade. If they can go all day kindergarten, and you're seeing the take up right now very high. I think that that is a good thing for these young ones to get them ready for I don't over, also want to overlook what you started with, which is I think this is secondary, but this is a holistic family-friendly activity as well. It really helps working parents. It, it protects the kids and gives them a community. And I don't know if you remember this, Heidi, but I remember when 
my kids starting to go and they were like half day and it was like 15 and when minutes. We say I'm half like, day, when? by the time you drop them off, you barely have time to brush your teeth yeah. and go you back went and, and get got them. a hot chocolate and came back and picked them up. I'm like, by half day, you mean you're going you're wasting to take a my small time. break with my child? I was yeah. like, this, holy cow. So, in addition, and first and foremost is the kid, but this Utah scores really low on holistic family care, interestingly, even though families are often um, proffered as our high priorities, this wraps around a lot of support to families as well. Yeah. And I like that parents can have a choice. And I think some of what the uptake is going to be is just people realizing that that's an option and it's okay. You're not forcing your kids to go to school prematurely. I had my daughter um, went to kindergarten here in Utah. And right after she was in kindergarten, she started first grade. We moved to Florida and they had full day kindergarten there, which it took me a couple of years to warm up to. My son was five, almost six years younger. But by the time we got to um, pre-K there, which they had paid for by the state um, and full-day kindergarten, I was like, please take him. He needed <laughs> he needed other kids around Play, him. He yeah. needed the learning. And so, I mean, I kind of changed my mindset too because coming from Utah, you're like, wait, you can't let those kids. It's too long of a day. They need a nap. And I didn't even go to kindergarten. Graham crackers. You turned out and look fine. at you. I didn't even go. <laughs> I don't know if that, I think that might be an indictment to, or might be a, the biggest argument for all day, Kay, is yeah. that I never went to kindergarten, Don't period. let your yeah. kids I didn't go half day. I didn't go at all. Or they'll turn out like yeah. you. I never went. You're a cautionary tale. Yeah, I'm a very, it's a very cautionary <laughs> I'm interested to see what happens in the years to come so we can look at test scores and see what happens because that's been a major change, so... Yay. Go kindergarten teachers. You've got a lot on your plates right now. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everyone. And we hope when we uh, join together again, there is not a government shutdown.